Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, and today I have a mini episode just for you. You're back for another mini episode, and my goal is to keep this mini. So I actually have recorded two podcast episodes before this one, so maybe I've gotten a lot of my talking out. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, y'all know I love to talk, but I want to address a topic today that actually has been on my heart. If you're newer to the podcast or you just haven't stumbled into these episodes, in episode 16, I shared my personal story of what it was like growing up with a sibling who was diagnosed and went through intensive early intervention. And then in episode 44, I had my mom on the podcast. And it was just a really dynamic conversation about our perspectives of what it is like. But the thing that has been weighing on me is I love talking about the whole family approach. And it was inspired from a very personal place. Traditional autism care hyper focuses on the autistic child. And that's important that they get support. And ultimately, what we know about family interactions, and this is true outside of autism as well, is that it's like a chicken and the egg, like one thing affects the other. And so when we can support the family unit around them, that actually helps to promote the autistic child's growth and development as well. But one of the things that came to mind, and it's interesting, as I was editing the episode with my mom, and I will say I also talked to my own personal therapist about this, this, this comment really resonated with me. So when you decide to be public. Some of you may know this from personal experience or just scrolling social media. You are going to get opinions of all kinds. And honestly, I really try to listen and learn. Even if I don't always necessarily agree right away, it's like, okay, what can I gain from this? What are they trying to share? I will say I get so many incredible messages too that make this so, so worth it. But every once in a while, there, there's hard times with being someone who is more public. And what someone said to me, it really, really stuck with me. Let me actually give you the quick context. So I have a series on social media called Things I Taught in Therapy, and I do like parts. And what I do with that series is I am literally taking like a, a part of an hour therapy session and what I taught in that session. And we break it down and it gives you a behind the scenes of what my process looks like and also gives tangible tips to parents. But this particular thing was talking about for a school-age child who is verbally fluent, and we were talking about anxiety, about the size of the problem relative to size of the anxiety. And I think what's hard is I just like taught this and there's so much nuance that comes with it and it can be done in what I believed to be a supportive way. But a lot on Facebook, a lot of autistic individuals were saying this isn't neurodivergent affirming. Actually, fun little behind the scenes too, someone and language is developing all the time. And I'll have to talk more about this, but they're like, you, it's a red flag that you're saying neurodiversity affirming. And I was like, I thought that was the right word. And I know neurodivergent, you use that with individuals. But I, I, if you listen to previous episodes, I say neurodiversity affirming care. And I don't think that necessarily is like highly incorrect, but okay, I pivoted, right? And now you hear me say neurodivergent affirming care. But anyway, so someone said, 
basically that they didn't agree with it. And there were a lot of thoughts and I was just trying to listen and respond and all of that. And I won't lie. I I totally will be honest with y'all. Like people are telling me that I wasn't providing good care and, and that was hard for me. But I also then was able to come back to and do a reflection of like, okay, there's so much more nuance here than can be communicated on social media. And I really, I am so invested in the families that I work with. It is the utmost priority for me. And I'm constantly learning and evolving my knowledge to make sure that I'm providing the best care. But one person in particular basically asked a question and I will say they said something about they didn't like, I I use my hands a lot. I talk with my hands and how that was distracting and something about how loud it was, was distracting. And so at first I was like, I have a podcast. This might be a better modality for you to be able to hear some of my insights on this. And that person didn't like my response. They said basically that I was being avoidant. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I really, I truly in that moment was trying to be affirming and match what they needed. But then the person said, well, I looked at your page and all you care about is the family. You don't care about autistic children. And I felt like that was a knife to the heart. I'm not going to lie. Like that was really hard for me to hear because I've dedicated my entire career to working with autistic children. And it wasn't until recently that I started going through my own therapy and actually learning how to tune into my emotions and realizing that, yeah, as a 33-year-old adult, I didn't realize this when I was growing up, but I had needs in all of this too. And it's it's not to say in any way. There, I mean, I said this in the episode with my mom. I don't have resentment of of my brother and what support he needed. I actually was fully, fully on board. And so much, here's the thing. When our brains are young, they don't have the cognitive reasoning that we do as adults. And so now I can say this is true. And no one ever told me this message. I want you to hear that loud and clear. But the message that I I created for myself is my brother needs help. So that means I can't need help. I cannot be a burden because he needs more help than I do. And so I need to play small. Again, no one ever told me that. And I will tell y'all that I am learning about myself that I, I have a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. I'm a helper by nature. And there's some ways that that is beautiful. But it was one of those things where I stepped into the helper role. And so I think just educating families on this, right, of what that sibling experience can be like. And I'm not saying every sibling's experience is the same as mine, but having those conversations or also just seeing the lack of support my my parents got in all of this too, it became a passion. And it literally was in the last year that I was like, oh my gosh, this is what is needed. And this is a gap that I can fill in the autism field. And some of it too is the way that I was trained. And I've talked about my training before, but when I was trained in my PhD, it was very child focused. And I was at Florida State University. When I went to Duke, I actually had a couple in family therapy rotation where I learned so much about the systems and like how how one individual's behavior affects another. And it's not about a blame game. It's realizing that all this energy exists and it's not about just addressing the energy that the autistic child is putting out. Everyone has energy. 
And we think about it in this way. And this is ultimately why I do this is some some naysayers could be like, oh, well, you're just trying to heal your own and your own pain through this. And sure, I'll own that, right? And I think that's okay. I really, I do. And maybe some people would listen to that and feel like that's selfish to say. But I also think that in order for me to be the best helper and the best psychologist, the best provider, it also involves helping myself. And that is really, really important. But I also think about it this way. If you are a parent who is so stressed out, constantly, constantly worried, right? It's going to take you out of those present moments because you're so worried about the future. You're so stressed about the future. The other thing is energy is this palpable thing. Kids can feel it. Particularly, I think autistic kids, there's no data to support this, but Autistic kids are even more in tune with it, right? Because they tend to be highly sensitive. And I don't mean that in that negative stereotype of highly sensitive. Really, I probably should say highly in tune, but they feel that energy and that can dramatically impact their mood and behavior. Also, are they feeling safe? You might not be doing things that are intentionally making them feel unsafe, but if they feel the tension, it might not be safe to to fully express themselves in that way. And I think that this is really important. Your family is a unit. And I think operating as a unit is, is essential, to be honest. The other thing, I actually, I had Sam Marion on the podcast recently. He is an autistic therapist and he does more family-based work too. And I was having a conversation with him, which I'll just give him a quick shout out. He listens to the podcast all the time, which I'm so grateful for. So hi, Sam. But we were having this conversation, too, that he was talking about bringing siblings into session. And he said sometimes watching the siblings interact, that you see different skills of the autistic child. And that's so true, right? What is the dynamic of the autistic child with each individual as well? And so this is where understanding how this family unit is operating is ultimately, at the end of the day, It's going to come back to supporting your child, really all your children, but your autistic child the most. And so, and I think parents struggle with this sometimes too, that why should I focus on myself? My child needs help. So just the way that I was as a kid, right? Again, no one told me this. No one's probably telling you this either, that you have to play small. You can't have your own needs because your autistic child needs that support. That's where you need to put all your time and energy. And that's what I believed as a child. It's like crazy to think. My, I, And probably as I'm saying this right now, when I say it, you might resonate with it, but you also might like, that, that doesn't logically make sense. There's space for both of us here. And I can say as an adult, I understand that. But my, my, my brain as a child didn't understand that. And honestly, the type of therapy work I'm doing, we talk about, it's like, little parts of us are still living inside of us. And that's something that I'm like tuning into and supporting that part of me right now to realize like, no, I can have needs too. And so can you as a parent. And I think that it can feel selfish, but ultimately it's not selfish. Like one, you're a human. I say that all the time and maybe that feels silly to hear, but you have needs, you have emotions. And you are allowed to take up space. That is really important. And two is by you doing all of that, 
that is going to have the most impact on your children and your family. When you take up space for yourself, you're you're channeling your own energy. You are you're able to process through things. And so it's twofold here too for how it benefits your child is one, that energy shift. You're responsible for your own energy. In the human design episode with Allison Collin, I loved what she said about that, right? That's the most important thing you can do as a parent other than keeping your children physically safe and well-fed and all of that, their basic needs. But number two, you are modeling that for your children. That becomes really important because one of the most effective ways that kids learn is through modeling. I have one more analogy. I actually shared this in a reel, but it felt really important. I want to reshare it on the podcast about your energy. So if we think about this it this way, is this idea of self-care. A lot of times what happens is we hear this cliche, like pour into yourself before you pour into others, or your cup will be empty, blah, blah, blah. I want to think about it from this way. All humans have energy, right? And it's what you do with that energy. And so when you're doing things that light you up and that really take care of your own energy, what it does is that energy recycles and then can be poured into to your family. When we don't use that energy intentionally, the energy just get gets eaten up. And so what I mean by intentionally is like in a reactive way, and it's like going only towards your family, that energy isn't a renewable source. It's pretty much gone in that sense. And or especially if we think about it in the sense of like you have a big negative reaction, right? That's not energy you want regenerating. And so when you pour into yourself, I want you to think of it as like the sun shining down on solar panels. The sun is shining off the energy and the solar panels are rejuvenating that energy. That's one analogy. When we don't use your energy for things that light you, I say light you the F up, then what happens is it's like fossil fuels. It just burns up. It goes away. And so this is that idea of pouring into yourself. If it lights you the F up, it's going to create more energy than than you're going to be able to use for your family. So, all right, y'all. I think that's all. I don't think this ended up so many. But it just felt on my heart to address this topic. It had been weighing on my heart a lot. And just I think I feel validation myself as I'm sharing it of why I do what I do. This is literally why I developed the whole family approach. But I want you to hear loud and clear, like, my mission is to be able to support autistic children and their families. And it's both, right? And it can be both. And so I think in some ways that this, it messed with my brain for a little bit, but this comment of like, you only care about the families, I think it's in this either or mentality. And I really am saying, why can't we care about the whole family unit? Why can't we care about everyone and provide the support they need? And the support that your family needs is going to look different for each individual. And so being able for each individual to truly be able to thrive is going to help your family unit thrive as a whole. And let me give one example of this. I, I see this a lot where parents feel pressured to do a ton of intervention. And they're saying yes to everything and it's burning them out. They're going from therapy to therapy. It's overloading them. Maybe it's even overloading your child. And they're coming home from, say, you choose to do intensive ABA. They're coming home from that and like melting down. And that's having an impact on the family 
and then you're on edge and then you're snapping at everyone, including your autistic child, including your your partner, including your other children, right? And it creates this negative energy in the environment. And you're also just at your wit's end already. You're feeling burned out. And guess what? That's not your autistic child's fault. There, there's literally no fault, no blame here. Everyone is overstimulated. And so when we go with this traditional model, what can happen is that parents feel pressured to say yes to everything. And so they're saying yes, thinking that's in best service of their child, but no one is actually asking, okay, what is your bandwidth as a parent? Can you take this on? Can you drive them to all of them? How are you feeling about this? Do you feel in alignment with this? How is your child thriving in that environment? Are they thriving? Are they not? All these decisions should come into play. But if we think about it sometimes in this either or mentality, in this unilateral direction, it's easy to be able to go deep down this path of, I have to get my child as many services as possible. And the reality is, is that isn't going to necessarily serve your child and it's not going to necessarily serve your family. But if your child is doing less therapy services, but is in this household that is more relaxed and that you're able to, to be more present with your child because you're not constantly stressed, that's going to help them to thrive even more. And so I think this is that like traditional example. And yes, we can do that in a neurodivergent affirming lens and all of that and other episodes dive into that much further and how important that is to me. But but like also, why can't we think about the whole family around it? And so I'm passionate and I've been passionate literally, y'all. Like I knew, I never told this story actually. I wrote a, so in high school, I was a in an international baccalaureate diploma student. So the IB program, this is like AP, but it's in a worldwide program. And I happened to go to an IB school, but you could get this diploma that meant you took IB classes in all areas, but then you had to write an extended essay. And I literally went to my advisor and I was like, I want to write it about autism and early intervention. And my advisor was like, no, 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 that's that's way too ambitious. Like that you don't even know that much about it. And mind you, my family had gone through this, but I didn't know. But I was like, I will figure it out. And I I kept pressing. I mean, I I've talked about on the podcast before. I can be a bulldozer when I'm really passionate about something and I can be very direct. But I was like, no, I'm doing it. And he kept being like, I think it's too much. You're biting off too much. Like it's too ambitious. And I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it. Well, he let me do it against his discretion and in his gut, but my gut was saying, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not, this isn't like a brag here, but basically what happens. So like I said, it's a worldwide program and you, you submit to this committee, your tests go to this committee, the essays are reviewed by this committee. I don't even know where this committee is housed, but somewhere in the world. And they every year publish the top 50 extended essays. And mind you, this is worldwide. And I, there's, there's a lot of students. And y'all, if you didn't know, my essay got published. And I was the first person from my high school to ever make that top 50 list. Like, and that's the thing. And it's almost making, it is making me emotional. Like, that is my level of commitment. I knew that that is what I wanted to do. And watching my brother go through this intensive intervention 
the question to me became from a very early age is why is he responding to it? Why is he progressing? And my mom had friends that their kids weren't progressing. And I wanted to figure out that answer. And I thought I wanted to go into research and my, my life path has changed in the most beautiful way. And I talk about lighting you the F up. Like what I do lights me the F up every single day. Like I get off calls and I just want to smile because I know, I know that those autistic kids are seen, heard, and supported in the houses that they're living in. And I think that is so incredibly important. But I knew, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I went after it and I followed that. Then in college, I started doing some research on autism projects. And then, yeah, I mean, I graduated college in 2011. And right from there, I went to an autism research lab. But I want to say it was like 2009 something like that, that I started doing autism research, maybe 2010. Y'all, that's 13 years that I've been committed to this. And within the last year is when I've started to pivot and be like, let's support the whole family. But autistic children and helping them to thrive in this world is truly my passion. Promoting acceptance so that autistic children can truly be themselves and helping parents to realize how they can help their children to be themselves and building acceptance that we live in this really neurotypical world and different isn't something we need to fix or cure. Different isn't something that means it's wrong. It's just different from what we're used to, but different can be so incredibly beautiful and teach us so many lessons. That is what I'm committed to first and foremost. And because of my personal story, my personal connection, yeah, I go hard on the whole family approach. And I also know how much that can benefit the autistic child as well. So I hope you hear me in this. And I listen, I'm not the type of person that's for everyone. I'm not going to be the clinician for everyone. But for those that do welcome me into their world, it's pretty damn special. And I'm just so grateful for every family that I've worked with and also for each of you. And you listening to this podcast, like, thank you for trusting me in this. And just know my heart is truly in the best place to support your child and help you to support your child. But I also want you to know that you deserve to take up space too, that your non-autistic children deserve to take up space, that your partner deserves to take up space, and that your autistic child deserves to take up space too. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you for listening, and I will see y'all soon. Goodbye. This episode was meant to be short and sweet. Full-length episodes air every Wednesday with many episodes like this sprinkled in between. So subscribe now so you don't miss the next one. And if you want to inspire a future episode, because that's how we roll over here, ask me a question on any of my social media pages for a chance to have your question featured. Bye, y'all, and I'll see you soon.